Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. I am one of the hosts. My name is Frank Gill. I'm up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, all the way in Baltimore, Maryland. My good buddy, Jeff Simpson. Hey. Down in uh, Sumter, South Carolina, where it's still fairly warm because you need the AC on, Delmar Pete. Howdy. And, uh, and he's alone up in Safety Harbor for the jewel of Tampa Bay. It's Andrew Larson. You're you're muted on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Keep this in. Uh, that's ah! great. But interpersonally, we couldn't hear you, but we're glad you're here, Andrew. Hey, you look good, though. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Hey, um, so... Uh, you know, America's number one in everything. We're number. We have the Wait, national. Are you talking about where Tim is? Oh, who cares? He's like gone every other oh, week. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Tim <laughs> is side hustling. I think. At... I think we're gonna get. Tim is gonna be considered a guest star on the there show. We now on, I like that. Credits. Yeah, the regular yeah. guest star. I like that. Yeah. He uh he he does a side hustle with a company that does Zoom funerals, which I've tried to trademark Zoom Zoomeral. I think that's a great name for it. That's a, that is a great and uh, we live in Florida where old people die constantly. And so he's very busy right now doing all these Zoomerals. If you're looking for a Zoomerall, I can promise that Tim has better uh, con- like bedside manner than Andrew. He's a little bit, he's a little bit nicer. <laughs> no, no, Tim is not doing the funeral. Tim <laughs> is pointing a camera at the stage at the funeral. His, the company that he works with does the video for the funeral home. So do it. If I was doing the funeral, I would have great pastoral manner. Um, but if I was pointing the camera, I would make lots of jokes. <laughs> Good, both appropriate. All right, underneath uh, your mask, snickering. Yes, as it were. Um, so uh, it is. What, what's today's date? Uh, November sixteenth. We are um, uh, reaching record high numbers of COVID cases, and there new are heights. new heights. States. And cities across this country that are um, doing greater, what's the word I'm looking for? Restrictions, greater, um, whatever. I, adding rules to their cities. Tightening their back city. up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, tightening back up. And uh, and I know here in, Mil- in Wisconsin, our governor has made some statements. Basically, it's like nothing really changes. It's like, please wear a mask. I think he lowered the, um, the occupancy rates again. I don't really, I don't, really, I didn't really pay attention because at the end of the day, nothing really changed here in Wisconsin. But what about you guys? Are you guys feeling more shutdowns lately? Are you guys, um, are you guys feeling more new restrictions, or is it kind of, you know, work as normal in COVID as it has it been? I'm in Florida. I don't know what you mean by restrictions, but Did I you was have at, restrictions. <laughs> I was at I was at Disney World yesterday, and I noticed <laughs> that there were more people there than there were the last time I was at Disney World a few weeks ago. So, yeah. you know, our governor has basically been like, whatever. We played by the rules once. It didn't work for us. If you want to stay home, stay home. So it's, it's oh. odd. Yeah, I'm in South Carolina. We're like your little twin sister state. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, third time, my mo- my mic just broke. So we're going old school, built in the rest of this one, guys. But uh, Andrew, I'm in a sister state of yours, South Carolina. Went down to Myrtle Beach last week. You wouldn't even know we were in quarantine unless you maybe went into a Walmart. Um, it's still super polarized out here in some respects with it, but I'll tell you how it is. I was walking around inside of an Ollie's. Have any of you ever been in an Ollie's? Yeah. 
if you yeah. are a pastor and you do not know what Ollie's is, you need to Google that. But hey, I was in gift, Ollie's. Gift Bible Central. Yeah. Yes. There's, the only Ollie's I've ever been to was when I visit my family in Tampa. Bro, there's that's a, where you load up on all of your graduate Bibles. $3. For They're like super cheap. ESVs. Yeah. Well, I was in there shopping because that's where we do Christmas a lot of times for the kids. I had a lady come up to me. And she, she, touched me, she tapped me on the shoulder. I, I turned around and said, yes, ma'am. She goes, I just want to thank you. And I was like, for what? She goes, for not being part of the group think and having your own mind. Because <laughs> I wasn't wearing a mask. So, like, that's South Carolina for you. I actually got a thanking from a stranger. Um, but, but then you meet the other people who are thanking you the other way. Um, but as far as restrictions on the state, we haven't heard any news from the top. But I do think a lot of churches that I know of, and even ours as well, we are operating on two timelines. You know, which timeline are we going to live in? Are we going to live in the timeline with the shutdowns or the ones with not the shutdowns? So we're literally planning out like a month down the road right now, because if you get too much further out than that, you're almost wasting your time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Uh, we plan basically a week in advance because of uh, where things are with us. Uh, we, so this last week we had the governor come on and then our county executive come on and the governor, uh, the new mandates in Maryland are, uh, you cannot have a gathering of more than 10 people indoors or 25 outdoors, uh, whether, uh, unless it's part of an already regulated thing. So at first, when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute, does that mean church is limited to 25? Cause right now we're limited to. 75% capacity, but with distancing and masking. So for our building, that's like 40 people maybe in the sanctuary wow. and another maybe 10 in like a fellowship hall with the TV, you know, run from, run from our live feed. So uh, what we've been having just under 30. Uh, so we've only been meeting in our building together since the 1st of November. Uh, we oh, just wow. moved back indoors. So uh, we've been having about 30-ish on a Sunday, a little under 30. And um, yeah, the new restrictions don't technically change anything for us uh, because we are already following some already in place mandates. So what they're trying to crack down on here is people having big like football watching parties and house parties because it's getting cooler and people are hanging out indoors. And uh, there's actually a task force in Baltimore County of 30 people that can go into businesses and give you fines and stuff. If you're not following the mandates. Really? So you have to be wearing, you have to wear a mask anywhere indoors. Wow. You have to wear a mask anywhere outdoors that you can't maintain six feet. And you can't like have a group of people in your house, more than 10 people. So there's uh, like a group of Dwight troops running around. Well, I think they're called the health department. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's people from the health department. Um, so, yeah, so essentially, I mean, our state is seeing increases in cases pretty strong, and uh, but How's your thankfully, rate? what's that? Is the mortality rate going up as well? Uh, no, the mortality rate's been dropping like everywhere else, but you know they're still trying to keep infections yeah, down. Yeah, so sure. our percent positive just got above six as of yesterday, which it's been under three for a while, wow. and that's when they started release loosing things. So when it got above five, that's when they started to uh, re-tighten things down. So in our county now, bars have to close at midnight. And uh, I think they reduced restaurant capacity back down to 50% instead of 75. So yeah, our plan, what I've been saying to my people for like six months now, because yesterday would have been eight months to the, to the day of the first 
shut down. March 15th was the first day we canceled. So uh, what I said to them yesterday was the same thing I've been saying, which is like, hey, anything I say to you is written very lightly in pencil. Like nothing is written even ink on paper. It's all pencil and it might all change. And part of it, you know, that I think is right now an advantage to being a smaller church is we can pivot really easy. It doesn't, it doesn't affect much, but that's, that's where we are in Maryland. Yeah. Jeff, serious question, man. Um, and I guess this could be for any of you guys. And I know like for Frank and I, maybe above is definitely above our pay grade, but you know, at what point do the lockdowns need to constrict to where churches shouldn't be okay with it or should they just always comply? And I know that's kind of, that's kind of like tension maybe, but I would really like to hear your opinions on at what point should the church say, no, we're, we're going to meet because right now different pastors are taking different stances. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I guess it, it, I think we inter- actually, Frank, you, you interact a little bit with somebody to ask this question in the group. If I remember or a similar question, um, for me, when they start singling out churches, then, you know, that's a problem, but it's, I mean, the restrictions are on everybody, at least in, you know, I'm speaking for Maryland, the restrictions are very similar, uh, to restaurants and to other things. Having said that we are not a restaurant. Um, and you know, I've even had people in my church ask me, well, how come if I go to a restaurant and I sit down and I take my mask off, why can't I come to church and sit down and take my mask off? And, you know, what I say to them is, well, there's no waiter or meal coming to you at church. So it's, you're asking me apples and oranges. It's not the same kind of meeting. Um, and frankly, I don't think masks are that big of a deal. Um, and, but you're more asking about like when they say, well, you shouldn't meet. If yeah. I, if I begin to think this is about suppressing ministry and the gospel, then, then I'm going to start to say, you know what, maybe we should meet. But uh, up until now, I mean, it hasn't, it, I, I don't think that any of the restrictions that I've seen really suppress the gospel, being able to preach the gospel or being able, anyway, what I was saying is I don't think that anything up to this point, um, for me at least that I've seen has really changed being able to preach the gospel, minister yeah. to people. Um, I think when, it, when that, when that happens, then, you know, then we, we have a different conversation. And I would say also, we need to pay attention to the reality that they're not just, uh, you know, they're not restricting Christian churches. They're restricting all, all religious gatherings. So again, we're not being single, at least in Maryland. We're not being, it's, they're not saying, uh, you know, gatherings, but not Christians. That's not what's happening. They're saying any and all gatherings need to be under these restrictions. And here are the restrictions for the broad category of houses of worship. Uh, and so, I mean, it's inconvenient, and I do think that it's detrimental. And I think that going, if we were to go back into lockdown for us, would would kill a little bit of momentum that we've gained over the last, uh, you know, three weeks or whatever. I just but, heard a statistic yesterday that one out of every five churches in the U.S. is considering um, whether or not they can make it past this year or have to shut their doors. Well, and I just heard I, I'm friends with a pastor in my neighborhood. Um, he is also uh, a, um, an employee of the county, uh, and he actually just got a, like a lifetime award for like his work with the recycling or whatever in the county. So he's he's kind of up there, uh, and he told me yesterday that actually, as of what Sunday, it was just under a hundred thousand businesses in our country have had to close. That's so you know, it's I think it's a little nearsighted for us as pastors and churches 
to be concerned with like, oh my gosh, what if we have to close? Because a lot of businesses are having to close and a lot of people are out of work. So, I mean, the reality is God will take care of his people. God will take care of us as pastors. We might have to do something else. I'm not worried about my the organization of my church uh, as much as I am about the witness of the gospel in my neighborhood. And, you know, I think if if shutting down if not being able to meet in our building is the only thing that's a witness of the gospel in my community, I think we were doing something wrong before. We should have a much more robust and broad witness to our community than just our meeting on Sunday morning. So, and I, bro, I'm going to tell you, I 100% comply with everything that you just said. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think I, I don't but, know. And the, I mean, the short answer is I don't know what I would do. Yeah. Like yeah, and it I hasn't happened to, yet. If they came and said, listen, you can't meet, but all the other religions can meet. That's a different conversation that I'll have yeah. to have at that time, you know? Yeah, and I think like to to what you just said, we are and the church collectively has been able to get the gospel out at least through its preaching most churches online in some way. I yeah. think the real struggle that I'm noticing in my own congregation is a pastor is it is that, you know, Hebrews 10, it's you know, not forsaking each other for the purposes of building each other up, for the purposes yeah. of speaking directly to each other and saying, listen, you need to be hope in your community. You know, um, I really noticed this very big for me. The first time we took communion since COVID, um, I realized, man, for the last umpteen weeks, it's been a pastor on a stage preaching. Yeah. But the second we had all those people gathered in the rooms and they were all lifting it up, it was like, no, now it's a collective body saying this is the gospel. So I do think for me, at least in my people, there is a very felt need of community to tell them, keep going in, in, in your home, keep going being the neighbor. So there is, I think it's a, t a huge tension right now, navigating it. You know, I, I look at the church down the road for me and they're like, man, if we comply, we die. And, you know, to your point about the businesses, I've also seen some businesses say, we're not complying, you know? So I don't know, because we're called to honor the government, but at the same time, um, you know, at, to, to what point? And I, and I think what, I, what we're really getting at, at least to how I feel is, you really shouldn't just slap a sticker on this thing saying this is how you should handle it. Because your state is totally different from my state, totally different from my country, and your congregation is totally different than my congregation. Right. But the thing that unifies us, it is the truth of the word of God. You know, so well, I think that's, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like, I mean, yesterday was the first time we've had communion since March mm. uh, and we do it every week. So communion is a big deal for us. Wow. It's yeah. a big deal for me. And, and I was moved by it. I mean, I'm the same as you. I was like, man, I haven't had this, this, you know, visceral picture of the gospel for eight months uh, to the day. And I notice it. I mean, I, I really noticed mm -hmm. it yesterday. Now we did communion differently because of where we are. And, you know, not wanting to have to remove masks inside. Um, I mean, the only one that doesn't have a mask on is me and only when I'm preaching. The singers keep them on when they sing. Wow. Everybody keeps them on the whole time. Um, part of it for us is just the demographics of where we are and being a witness in our community. The, the church is kind of seen negatively. And so for us to be flaunting that we can kind of take stuff off would be negative for us in our community. And I emphasize That's fair. for us in our community. Uh, I know it's different in other places. And so, I mean, it's like uh, the only one I'm going to answer to in the end is, is Jesus, the judge. I'm not going to answer to any other churches or any other people's opinions. Like, so, you know, I just have to, and, and to go back to the Hebrews, I think you have to do the work of really 
digging into that text for you and your elders and interpreting it and understanding, you know, the gist of what he's getting at. Is he saying, don't forsake the gathering, and by gathering, does he mean what we mean by gathering once a week? Or does he mean what the church in Acts meant, and daily they were gathering, you know? So in one sense, have we already abandoned that, that gathering? I mean, you have to answer these questions. Yeah. Or is he talking well, I, about I think... <laughs> abandoning the community of faith? Yeah. What is he getting well, at? Well, to be you know? fair, but, but you, you know, what he's getting at in Hebrews 10, guilty, because that's kind of where we are as our teaching team, is um, there were people being arrested just for being Christians mm-hmm. and being locked in prison. And back then, a prison was a hole in the ground. So if, if you didn't bring your, your person food, they didn't eat. Right. So the Christians were like, man, if I go take Uncle Bob food, who's a Christian, they're now going to know I'm a Christian. So I'm going to be persecuted as well. So the scripture says that they actually did take the, their food to their Christian brothers and sisters. When they did that, the community found out that they were believers. And it says that they actually looted the believers' yeah. homes in light of that. And that they're talking about that in a, in a past sense of what had happened in Hebrews. But really, we do see like people willing to risk it all to, to gather together um, in this sense in a very, uh, you know, oppressed way during and a time of oppression, right. he was telling them it's still important that you are together. And I think what you're hitting at is actually kind of the, the heart of it. I think you have to really determine contextually, are we in a time of oppression? You know, granted, the closer we go to Jesus, the closer we should grow to each other. But when we move into oppression, that's when we have to say, hmm, I'm going to choose my Lord. And, and to your point, you know, it's a really it's a thin line right now because we're being subjected to the same thing as the gym right beside our church. Right. I know in the, in the Facebook group, someone, someone mentioned something to the extent of like, well, a church in San Francisco or something is uniquely targeted compared to other churches. And I, and I didn't like fact check any of that. And, and I, I like what Jeff said. It's like, I think this is a very contextual conversation with your community and with your church. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, like Jeff, like up here in Milwaukee, like we, I would say Milwaukee is a post-Christian city in the sense that there was a, a heyday of Catholicism and Lutheranism. But then like, since then, like, the evangelical church doesn't really have much authority amongst the the people. Like you go to a public setting and they're not impressed with you being a pastor or there's no expectation of you going to church. So with that being said, um, there has, I have not felt in any kind of real way, a specific targeting from my community about, because, because in the same sense, there's not a single music venue that's open. There's not a single um, other religious organization that's open. And all of the restaurants and all the gyms and all the other public places where people would gather. I mean, obviously there's public places where people gather where they're not following the rules. Like Walmart, no one's going up specific uh, aisles like you're supposed to and stuff like that. But at the same time- You feel like a rebel when you go up the wrong way. <laughs> there are a few things that ticked me off. Than when, like, like, I, when, when public's put the stuff down and I was- I, I, I wear my mask. I do what I'm supposed to do. But the Publix by my house is filled with people that are 70, 75 plus. And when you, when you're, and they were the ones that couldn't follow the arrows on the floor. And yeah. like our Publix has since taken them up. And I'm like, you realize that the, I am taking 40 minutes to go grocery shopping so that you don't die and you can't follow the arrows. That's like going into somebody else's house and putting muddy shoes on their carpet. It's a private business. They're yeah. allowed to tell, to tell you how to walk. 
It's their business. I'm sorry. I'm done now. (laughs) And I mean, how many people (laughs) have said it's not a law and it's like, no, but provided in the legal code is for the governor to have the authority to make these mandates. So it is in the law. Um, you know, you're on private property. And here's the thing, like (laughs) for us in my city and Frank, you can, you know, it was Baltimore is the, is the first Catholic diocese in the country. So it's a very old Catholic city. There's a lot of mistrust. Um, you know, if you watch the keepers on Netflix, I mean, there's all this stuff with priests abusing kids. And I mean, the, the Bishop that was over our diocese was in this huge scandal, blah, blah, blah. There's all this stuff. So we all get lumped into that. And so people have a view of Christians, if they're, if they're not Christians, they have a view of Christians and pastors in, in my context, that is that we are basically just kind of living off of, you know, other, the back of other people. And, uh, and then, so these same people now are in a situation, many of them are working class folks in my neighborhood, in my area where their job has, has either they have had shifts closed or they've had to not work as much. And so for us to take the attitude that they expect us to take, which is we'll do what we want anyway, and we're not going to follow the mandates, even if we're not actually saying that, even if all we're doing is, is meeting indoors when it's a little bit like less than ideal to do that is just, it's, it's a roadblock to the gospel that, that isn't necessarily like enough to make me want to do it anyway, because the people that I'm trying to reach are not coming to the church to hear me preach anyway they're probably going to see me on a live stream or interact with me one-on-one. And if they ask me, are you, you know, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. They all, now they have all these expectations. I got into this conversation with the lady that was cutting my hair last time I went to get my hair cut. Uh, and she was asking like, well, how come you guys are allowed to meet? And that's not fair. We've had our hours cut. Do you still get paid? So they have this attitude of like, you know, and so I had to explain to her, like, actually, it's, it's really disrupted everything. We're, all, we're meeting outside, and we're still maintaining distance. And, and so for me to say those things to her made a big difference to her. But again, it's, that's my context. And it's probably more similar to Frank than, um, you know, being in the South and stuff. That's just, like, I would say this. Pastor's like, let's not judge each other right now. We're all figuring that's this right. thing out. Like, I, I think the, the, the aspect of spiritual formation that we as pastors need to consider in this time, because I, I believe, I, I mean, I can definitely speak for my church. And I'm sure many of your churches are like this too, where you, what we have in our people are not necessarily, a, I'll be very careful how I say this. It's not that we have a lot of people who are, are thinking critically about that Hebrews passage. I think they use right. that Hebrews passage because they want to gather. Yeah. But I think there's this like... Until there's a football game they want to watch. <laughs> exactly. Right. But I think there's this other aspect that, that like is a very... It's a landmine of a conversation, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But like it, the, there is this over-spiritualization in, that's, cl- that's, that's covering over this idea of religious freedom and 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 also like autonomy as as individuals and being able to do what we want and i think like it's very easy as the church because for i mean as long as i've been a christian we've heard about the 1040 window we've heard about the bible smuggled into china we've heard about all these grand stories of persecution in the church overseas and 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 i think there's the aspects of theology in the american church that desires to have that like you know um big you know dietrich bonhoeffer bold moment where we could say we stood up against oppression and I think we as pastors need to be very careful the way we articulate and the way we talk about what we're, what we're doing, whether we're opening or closing, 
to not reinforce bad ideology simply because of a of a either certain political principles or persecution mm-hmm. complex that that doesn't actually help us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because because one thing I was thinking about all this is is let's say we do go through another shutdown. And and that and you're right, Jeff, that would ruin all kinds of momentum for all of our churches and stuff like that. I always go back to thinking of this, it's like the early church probably wasn't even allowed to gather like this, but they still did not forsake the gathering, right? They still right. met together. And I think it might be an opportunity for us in the same way how we said, okay, now is an opportunity to refocus on online church and figure out how that's going to work to maybe refocus on what is that group up in the Pacific Northwest that has the special communities where like churches are meeting in homes, um, missional communities and stuff like that. Like, yeah. like they're kind of like, re-look at the idea of what does a um, the community of the church looks like practically within neighborhoods and homes. And I know like North Point is trying to figure that out in Atlanta. And I know there's like brothers and sisters like in Oregon and in and, and Washington State that are really trying to figure this out of what does a decentralized church that doesn't meet in one big building, but kind of multiple neighborhoods. And there's a person that oversees all that, what that looks like. I'm not, I mean, that's very countercultural to what the American church has been doing for like a hundred years. But I think there's something that like, a, a way to figure out what that looks like there and what that looks like with what we're doing and blending it together. Because the reality is this is, and, I, and this is why I said is like, everything's contextual until the day the, the, the government says we can't do online church. That's when I'm going to feel like we're being persecuted. Right. Yeah, no, no one is asking us to meet in catacombs. Right. No like, hey, and no, no one's yeah, telling we, us we can't worship Jesus or we can't preach saying, the gospel. They're saying, Hey, maybe we're going to need you to move back online. It, and it's, okay <laughs> I, I like i mean honestly where where we are where we we've kind of talked about it as a as a leadership team and we had an elders meeting on thursday night and i was like hey can you like here and now so that we're dealing with the hypothetical not the actual concrete can you give me the authority now to just make calls and yeah. if any if it's anything more than just two than two weeks at a time i'll consult but you know give me the uh the the gumption to say hey for the next two weeks we're going to be online and they're like yeah you got it and so my hope is that if we have to shut down again it won't be close to christmas because all the pre-recorded music that i have of our praise team is not doing christmas songs and so it would (laughs) suck to have to have them come in to record christmas music but at this point it's like you know if it if it keeps our people safe i don't think we're being persecuted to say watch online and check in on each other I would say too, like, I think this is a time where pastors, like, we really got to watch our hearts that our motivation for meeting together again isn't our paycheck. Like, I mean, would you continue to pastor your people if this shutdown happened and they could not afford to pay you anymore because they're out of work? I mean, do you love your people or do you, you know, love the, the paycheck that your people give i mean that the reality is our we're totally supported by our church i live in a parsonage and my salary comes from people giving generously so you know my motivations i I, it's just a good thing to re to to rethink through like what's my calling to this group of people and is it solely based on a paycheck i'm not saying it's wrong to pay a pastor i mean you know paul says pay the you know pay those who work i'm not saying that but if our motivation for wanting to get back into our buildings is so that I mean, we've got to get offerings up so that I can make sure my paycheck is secure, then I think some idols are being revealed. Yeah, and I think one of the things we all know 
and we've basically been saying it, the church is getting changed right now. Yeah. Like we all know that that's a horse that's been de- uh, that's been beat a lot, but here's the one thing we do know. There is real tangible thing that needs to be happening in all of us right now, because see, here's the thing, whether you're persecuted or not being persecuted, it really doesn't matter because see, here's the thing you are suffering. Like whether it's persecution or not, you are suffering trying to figure this out. You're suffering trying to love your people who are not close to you. You're suffering trying to get them to love their neighbors and to not die on political hills and to keep their hope in Christ above everything when all of creation is trying to grab that hope. So when, when we're in suffering, we know, we know our command there, right? Suffering produces endurance, which it produces character. And right now over this period, like my personal burden that I've been hoping to see in my people and that I've been asking God to do in me is, God, I have opinions. Can you hull out the ones that I shouldn't and produce within me a character that is different? Because we don't know what we're supposed to do programmatically, but we 100% know what's supposed to happen to us in our hearts. We should be becoming people with better character more toward Christ and all of that. It's a back to your point, Jeff, if our motivations aren't pure, if they're about a paycheck or if they're about having some clout in the community, if they're about having a big church, when the other church is shutting down, man, that's not producing the character that we have. And that means that we're not suffering well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll end with this. I know Jeff mentioned this several weeks ago and ever since he said it, I've stolen this phrase so many times, but he talked about how kind of the church is in a state of exile right now. And I, and, I, and I can't like get over how good of a phrase that is of like, we're in a state of exile. And when you're in exile, things look different, right? Like things are not going to be how it's normally going to be. It's going to be a time, of ref- a time of refinement. It's going to be a time where we should be listening deeply to what God has to say. And it's going to be a time where we have to pivot a ton. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know when the, the exile is going to be over, but what I do know is if we're not learning from the exile, we're just as bad as that first generation of Moses, of people with Moses wandering the wilderness that couldn't go to the promised land because we were too stubborn. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, so anyways. Be creative, pastors. Like I just had a conversation with a middle school English teacher today where I was saying, hey, look, I know that you're not allowed to do stuff in your building after school, but there's probably some stuff we could do in our building to like help some kids who are struggling with online class. We have pretty fast Wi-Fi. We have enough space for, you know, maybe 25, 30 kids. Like let's, let's get together on with a whiteboard and just be creative and like serve the community. So that's the kind of opportunity you have yeah. right now. Yeah, that's good. Hey, let's, uh, this is a good opening s- segment. We, we spent a lot of time here. Yeah, other than the tech issues. Holy cow. <laughs> hey, uh, let's dive into our clergy cliff note. Andrew, can you cliff notes, clergy cliff notes. Here's the stuff we've been reading about this week, but up, but up, but up, but up from the internet and watching e news because of pastors that are celebrities. Oh, great! Nice, <laughs> nice. I just wrote that song. Man, right. Hey, you should freestyle hip hop. Um, all right, so we're gonna do something a little different today. Uh, we will, I will actually. Uh, read for us the different uh, clergy cliff notes that we have today. There's been about three huge kind of news things that happened in the pastoral Christian world since the the two weeks we've been gone. And so I'm going to start off with this big one. Uh, 
Carl Lentz got fired. And so Hillsong East Coast pastor, which means this, I didn't know this until recently. He's more than just a campus pastor of, or the, the pastor of Hillsong, New York. He kind of is like a, like a denomination head over yeah. all the Hillsong churches on the East Coast, which that's a huge role. I, I found it out recently. Uh, the Hillsong Atlanta person just became, they, they're planning a Hillsong Atlanta. And they explained that uh, who he, who Carl, what Carl Lentz's role was. And, um, and so long story short, Hillsong came out with a, a Instagram post or a, 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 a news, news report saying that they had uh, let go of Carl Lentz for a moral failing. It was kind of vague. It didn't really say what kind of moral failing. And I actually saw them get kind of pushed back from people in Hillsong, New York saying, this is too vague, da 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 And then I don't know if it was like a day or two afterwards, Carl Lentz himself posted an Instagram post with his family kind of saying that yeah he was he committed adultery he, he cheated on his wife and then since then a couple um i don't want to say they're news outlets but they're more of like uh tabloids blog, stuff. blogs yeah blogs i guess that's true there's some blogs and some tabloids that have come out and then there's this woman who was the said um person who who was the other side of this affair came out and kind of shared her side of the story but ultimately um uh, in the midst of COVID, he met a woman in a park and they started, he, he, there were some like things that he lied about what he was doing for a living, but then eventually came out and said he was married, but didn't cut off the relationship. Um, the, the relationship was very inappropriate. And then the way he got caught was his cell phone was tied to his computer and someone noticed a text message that was on his computer and um he got called into the office and he was let go and so this this isn't obviously whenever we hear a pastor have a moral failure i think there's a side of me that comes out that says like man this sucks because it, it, it's just another another black eye in the face of the role of the pastor right and it just it just yeah. feels gross and it's frustrating and there's this moment where like i feel like i have to be defensive when people are like we'll see you pastors are gross or whatever and i don't know uh, at the same time, this is just another example of of a celebrity pastor failing, whether it's a moral failure, whether it's a leadership failure. And I'll be honest, not that this one hits differently, because I felt like when Mark Driscoll fell and then Tulian fell and... And, and Jake, let's be fair, Mark Driscoll, that was a little different. It, yeah, it was a moral failure, yeah. but, what, but what I'm saying yeah, is... Be, being well, a jerk does not forever disqualify you from ministry. Right, it is a moral failure, but it's but, not... That but, kind of moral failure. But all I'm saying yeah. is, when I hear these these failures, moral failure, leadership failures, whatever, um, I feel like with Carl Lentz and the way he failed, to me, it just it kind of further personified and personified. That's not right. Further instilled in me, it's like I I don't want to be a famous pastor. <laughs> like like not that I want to be able to hide secret sins better, but because it's just like it's an impossible, mm -hmm. impossible place to be. Because not only are you famous and people people consider him an influencer pastor which is funny but beyond that it's like as a pastor you're already kind of like like looked at differently whenever you give moral imperatives from the stage and so multiply that by being a celebrity pastor the eye of scrutiny is just is a weight that i don't think we were meant to carry now maybe that's 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 weird for me to think about because I mean Charles Spurgeon is in a sense a celebrity pastor in a way. And I was gonna say I don't, well, I I don't read this story and get any sense of oh, 
poor him. I would hate to be in that situation. For I mean, sure you shouldn't. I, I've been married for 15 years and haven't had an affair. And I'm now granted, I don't look like him have the financial resources that he has yeah. or, uh, and as far as I know, I, I don't have the compulsion to cheat on my wife either, but you know, like, but to, like, to your like, point, no, there's been celebrity. There's, there's been, you know, ever, ever since the first century, there have been pastors that had a big regional yeah. draw. You know, Paul's name meant more in Rome than any other of the apostles. You know, and throughout church history, we, you know, they didn't have an Instagram account and they didn't have, you know, Gucci jeans or whatever it may be. But you, not only do you choose that life, but you go after that life. You don't just wake up and say, oh, look. I'm pastor, you know, anybody, not, I'm sure I didn't say anybody, but with his resume, if he was feeling like maybe he couldn't handle it, he could have gotten a job at a church of 400 people at any town in America or Australia for that matter, and said, I'm going to go live, you know, a different lifestyle, slower pace, because it's best for me, or, me and my family. So it's not like, yes, I understand that temptation is different for everybody, but we can't pretend like that temptation hasn't existed for all of human history That's fair. and and every church leader ever some people <laughs> some people just look like bigger d-bags when they fall <laughs> well and we do see that god gives each grace according to the measure of their call you know and i think it's really important that we know what our call is to what extent we should be you know going toward that place but you know like I, you just said exactly what was on my mind you know some say it's about Apollo. Some say it's about Paul. It's always been here. Look at Spurgeon. Guy struggled with severe depression. He was pretty, he's pretty well known, you know, look at, um, look at even John Calvin. He struggled with severe health issues tied to the anxiety of just being John Calvin, I guess, you know, but I think about these things and we have to look at that and say, where does that fit in our own life? Because there is a part, and I think that if this doesn't exist in you, I really don't know. I would love to meet you. But there is a part of anyone who's on stage preaching, you're going to be seen. And there's a part of you that's like exceedingly okay with that. You know, a book that my pastor had me read, which was very good. And it helped me in like a lot of leadership ways, but it also helped me realize like, where is my role? Where, where do I need to be checked it was a book called Hungry, Humble, or Smart. Have y'all heard of this book? Um, basically, it talks about every personality. You have these three things at war within you, like, like your hunger, your desire to win, your desire to be known, your aggressiveness, your humility, which means you're decide, I can take the background. I don't have to take the credit. I can put others first. And then your, 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 just your intelligence. Hey, I know um, how to interact with people. I know how to be smart. And, and you find these guys who tend to lean towards too much and, you know, if I'm too hungry and too aggressive, I, well, yeah, I can have a side chick and be a pastor, you know, and I think it's really important for us to be in community with other people who are checking us. Um, and, and I will see back to Jeff's point, we did have celebrity pastors in the Bible, but you know what else we did? They were checking each other. I mean, Paul withstood Peter to his face you know, publicly. And I think we need to have those people in our own lives who will just call you out and say, Hey, I'm kind of not on board with you on that. Maybe in, up here in Milwaukee, it's unique because like I said, we live in a post-Christian world. So when you give moral imperatives, like don't sleep around or, you know, don't, 
you know, there's more on parents about what you, how you should live and, and not live or whatever. Like um, your life as a pastor is going to be scrutinized based on, on that. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I think the example of not cheating on your spouse is one thing that's, that's, for a lot of us, that's not going to be an issue. But like, for example, if you if you have a high horse on watching your speech in a sermon, and then you go around like cursing a lot, like like you you're not just like inconsistent; you're a hypocrite, and therefore that challenges everything else you say. Um, you, you at that point are a whitewashed tomb, right? That's what you are, and and and, and, and I think like I know there's going to be people who hear pastors talking about. Carl Lentz or any other pastor falling and say, Oh, you're just shooting the wounded and you're just, but no, it, it, like Dell, like you said, Paul, you know, rebuked Peter to his face yeah. in front of everybody else. And Peter repented. So it, it, it remains it. to be seen whether or not Carl Lentz. And I hope he does repents. Yeah. And w- when he does, and I'm going to assume he, d- he will, when he does, then there'll be a process of restoration. But I, one of the things that interested me about this story the most was what the uh, the woman who he was having the affair said in a I, I read a couple of the articles. Um, she said, quote, he was like a drug to me. And I think what you see is the sort of the over sexualization of our culture clashing with the ethics of Christianity in this like in this weird moment, because that that is one of the main responses I, you know, of our culture is to say, well, like, you know, sexuality is just like, I can't, you know, I I shouldn't have to control it. I shouldn't have to, but you know, Jesus in his sermon on the Mount says, if you look at a woman with lust, lustful intent in your heart, Mm. then you've committed adultery with her. And so there's this intentional thing that's going on. And this affair didn't happen by accident. You met her in the park. And what we, what we know is he lied about what he did for a living so that the relationship would continue. So in that moment, he is intending to allow lust to take hold, which then leads to adultery. That's just the end of that road. And I think there's so, – so you see this, like, this collision of the cultural view of sexuality that it's like, oh, it's a drug, and I just, I just couldn't help myself. I was, you know, it's like an addiction. I can't, I can't stop myself, as opposed to Jesus saying, look, it goes to the volitional level in your heart. And I, so I don't think celebrity had anything. She didn't know who he was. Yeah, right. you know, he lied about what he. She had no idea who. So his celebrity pastor status didn't have anything to do with him falling into this affair. There's like, one thing that the celebrity pastor status uh, just makes me frustrated about. Again, not that I'm planning to have an affair, not that you know I'm, uh, but if any one of us has an affair right now, we lose our jobs, and we are probably you know Jeff, you live in a parsonage. Like you don't just yeah. lose your job, you lose your house. Um, the rest of us are probably, you know, two or three. No, months I'll away just from sell the- my one point five million dollar house and be fine. There, there you go. Exactly. We don't have, you know, we have not been on Oprah to discuss our books. He has. He's got the parachute of he's used this the celebrity, and I've, I sound like I'm like mad at him. I don't know him. I'm not mad at him any more than I would be any other pastor. The difference is, is that we would be like, oh man, our family's got to pick up the pieces. This is going to be a rough job. I'm going to be driving Uber Eats for the next month until I get my insurance license while he's chilling in Nantucket working on his marriage for the next six months, living off of the money that he made from selling a book that only was bought by people that go to his church or that know who he is because of his church. That's the celebrity pastor kicker that kind of 
chaps me the wrong way. Yeah, I'm going to be swinging a hammer probably. Exactly. Like or if, shoveling something or yeah. And yeah. I, I think here, here's the other part of this that I think is very connected to the issue of pornography in pastors because it's connected to lust. Yep. I think there's, there is this, there is this false sense of security that we can allow ourselves to fall into as pastors. And Andrew, you kind of said it, and I'm not trying to pick on you, but no. it's, it, it's that whole like, well, I, I don't think I have the propensity to do it. Obviously, I'm a mature no. Christian. Yeah. I would never. Listen, all of us could do this. Yeah. Like none of us that are on this podcast, none of you that are listening to this are exempt from the possibility that you could have an affair. You have well, what, to what, fight lust. It, it, what was the text that I sent all you guys when the story broke? It was, well, this is why I don't work out. You know, I want to make myself as <laughs> right. like, as and, and the joke was, well, because I can't control myself. I just want to make myself as unappealing to women as possible. And it was meant to be funny. But no, you are right. Every single one of us is one really bad day by the grace of God away from ruining everything, ruining our testimony, ruining our church's mm-hmm. testimony in the community. Well, and we've said this before. If I was a betting man, uh, which I'm not because gambling is a vice. Don't do that. But if I was a betting man, I would almost guarantee this is not the first woman he's talked to in a park. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would put money on that because you do not just – I mean, maybe it was his first time. And, you know, I read some of the stuff about how awkward he was the first time they were together. But I just got to believe he's he's looking at stuff online or he's doing something to get him steps down that road because you don't just – I mean, how many people have we talked to as pastors that are on the other side of this, where we're the one giving the like, hey, you need to stop this sin before it leads to what it's going to lead to. Mm-hmm. And I think the news only cares about the end result. This guy got fired. But this has probably been months, if not years, of being foolish and thinking, well, you know, I can, I can play with fire. I can, I can play with my sin, and it's not going to end up doing what sin always does, which is lead to destruction and death. And the reality is he's not only destroyed his career, he's destroyed probably his children's and his wife's faith, if not forever, for at least for a while. Uh, Because you think about your dad being a pastor, Mm -hmm. especially a celebrity pastor, what is that going to do to your faith? You better be careful. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus said, if you cause a little one to stumble, you'd be better off getting a a millstone tied around your neck and thrown Mm -hmm. into the ocean. Like, that's not me saying that to be judgmental. That's just the reality of how harsh Jesus is about causing other people to stumble. So, I, I mean, th- this is just your job is the least yeah. important part <laughs> of this equation of what you destroy. And this well, is and- really going back to the scripture, you know, not many of you should try to become teachers because when you do, you know that you will be judged harsh, more harshly. And I think I mean, this is exactly what that means. I don't know that exactly. it even means that God's going to judge you more no, harshly. I here. think it means you're going to be put on this pedestal and the mm-hmm. people around you are going to take what you say and judge you by it. Yeah. You just got to be ready for that. And like Frank said, when we're dishing out moral imperatives, we <laughs> if that, that, that's one of the things about preaching with that always hits me. If that sermon has not broke me all the way down that week, I have no business preaching it, you know, because I have no business telling my people, you know, this, this hard truth, if that truth hasn't hit me first, or it's just going to be like what we were saying, I'm just going to throw it at you and not let it, not let it seep through me first. And then I'm just going to be found a hypocrite. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, there's a, uh, a test you can do for yourself. If you're a pre- if you're a pastor that preaches regularly and you find yourself 
uh, shying away from some ethical teaching or moral imperative, mm -hmm. you need to do some repenting because that probably means that you are walking in at least toying with secret sin. Because I think, you know, if I preach about this ethical mandate yeah. and people find out about my thing that happened, then they're not going to listen. So you at least need to have somebody that you know. Like you should have at least one person in your life that I think Matt Chandler has said this in a sermon a long time ago. I used to listen to his sermons when I worked in a warehouse, and I think he said this, and it made me stop working for a few minutes to think about it. You should have so, at least one or two people in your life, and I, I think this is so important as pastors, where if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, guess what I found out, you'd be like, well, the people that need to know already know. There's nothing you could find out about me that somebody doesn't already know. Uh, that's important in my life. I think if you have this kind of relationship, your elders can be this for you, Pastor, so that there's nobody in the church who can walk up to you and say, hey, guess what I found out? And you feel like, oh, my gosh, I hope they don't tell anyone. If the elders already know and you know and, they, and you've worked through that redemptively, you're free. I think one of the things I'm getting out of what you're saying is if it's a good check. If you find yourself speaking soft, it's probably because your heart is hardening towards some sin in you. You know, if we're not leaning into those passages, now you have on the other end of the spectrum, you know, the IFB guys, independent fundamental, like I grew up and they just speak so hard. And then you find out they got this 17 year old yeah. girlfriend and he's 40. So it really does have to, you know, is your words in alignment with your heart? And I think there isn't a good objective standard there. Um, are you wanting, here's, here's where I really get to Jeff. I'm speaking not soft. I'm speaking sharp, but I don't get joy out of it. The mm. second I'm getting joy out of reaming my people, right? That's I'm, I'm, I'm in sin there as well. So I think it really does have to go to that heart check. Like what we just said, when it comes to us speaking about sin in front of our people. Yeah. It could just be the, you know, the warning lights are starting to blink a little bit. Mm -hmm. You need to pay mm -hmm. attention. To be fair. Um, I, I'm not speaking for anyone else. I, I don't have a um, negative. I mean, this is before all this stuff came out, but I never had a negative thought about Carl Lentz. I felt like he was a bit weird because of like that picture that went around with him and Justin Bieber and his shirt off. But like, uh, but like I, I've heard a couple of his messages and he kind of just is like that typical kind of like quasi charismatic preacher who has a lot of really good kind of um, one liners, one liners that are like, you can't get mad at those one liners. They're usually like pretty solid or whatever. Um, Very tweetable. Yeah, very tweetable. And I do know, and, the, and one of the interesting things that came out was one, when, before we found out it was adultery, a lot of people assumed he was getting fired because of how vocal he was about Black Lives Matter. And, and his oh, support, he was very, very, I mean, he goes through his timeline on Instagram. He's very, very supportive of Black Lives Matter and social justice causes. And, um, and so, like, like whether, like, I, I, I always put Carl Letts in the same category of, like, uh, uh, Judah Smith, or even like the the guy in Miami, the Voo Church guy. It's like I don't have any kind of hard heart towards those people because they're just not in my stream. But like they have a couple of tweets here and there that I thought. And was... Justin Bieber links them all together, right? And Justin Bieber does link them yeah. all together. See, somehow. you know that's actually how I found out. I knew nothing of Carl Lentz going on. All I saw was Justin Bieber's pastoral influencer has an affair. That's how the market sold this entire well, thing but you know what's interesting is uh just there's an article that said justin bieber actually has distanced himself from carl Lentz for over a year now that's that's like tabloid stuff that doesn't really matter but what <laughs> but what matters is um is like yeah i just jeff i, I appreciate it. i hope he repents i'm sure i'm 
I, I'm going to believe in the best in the situation that he is repenting. I, um, and that he's seeking the, 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 what he needs. Dude, pr- I, we have to pray for his wife, pray for his kids. Well, she got fired too. Which Yeah, she got fired. Like, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. You got fired. I mean, it's, it's, dude, the church is the only place where your spouse, you can get fired because of your spouse. Well, I mean, and yeah. two pastors, I mean, think about It's like if you're in a small church like me and, you, you know, your wife's not like paid by the church, working for the church, and you get fired, not only – you know, if she's working outside the home, like maybe her income doesn't change, but her friend groups probably change a whole yeah. lot. Yeah. So like, you're, you're just devastating everything with that for, and I mean, for what? Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. It's rough. Hey, I'll let- tell you what, but Hey, hey can I <laughs> add, add on to, to that one, one second? My, uh, I think freshman or sophomore year of college, um, there's a, a guy who was a senior on the soccer team that was like, he was like the all American. I was the last guy off the bench. So he was, he was cool. And he had just gotten engaged and I remember sitting with him and having lunch. And I said something like, man, I think it'd be really nice to be engaged because, you know, then you don't have to worry about, you know, checking out the girls coming to the cafeteria or, or whatever it was. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. And he said, Andrew, the temptation to check out the girls walking in is no greater now that I'm engaged than it was when I was 14 in the cafeteria at lunch. And I don't think it's going to be any different when I'm 30 or when I'm 50. And so – the the big tie into all that is not only did Carl Lentz have some issues. Um, did you guys see the the story about the Pope liking? Yeah, thanks to you, I saw on... it. Now my covenant <laughs> eyes alerted. <laughs> hey, you knew you knew about the awkwardness of Carl and whatever her name was. So uh, clearly, your covenant <laughs> eyes are doing different things than mine are. Um, the but apparently the Pope got in some hot water this week, some some holy water, if you will. Oh um, because so well done. I was just waiting for it. He oh, was man. he was liking Instagram, I think, an Instagram post by a uh, an influencer, if you will. Um, that was has he said he was yeah. hacked yet or something? I have no idea. I I'm sure he would pretend that he doesn't speak English and doesn't know what we're talking about. <laughs> but um, but. There, there's a story that's been going around of the Pope liking very scantily clad pictures of young ladies, and you know we're not going to get into Catholic theology or anything papal, but you know he's how how old is the Pope? Eighty two, eighty three, um, and apparently we've we've all done the thing. I'm not saying we haven't done what he's done. You all done the thing where you accidentally like someone's picture, and you know and you're like ah oh, crap, I got to undo that. But here's the Pope who. You know, it, it doesn't just happen to 42-year-old pastors that wear skinny jeans or uh, deep V-neck T-shirts. Sometimes it happens to men in their 80s that wear robes. I just, I'm just trying to consider the situation where the Pope <laughs> slides into the Explorer tab, you know, and he's just, he's, you know, like, I'm just like, <laughs> when does the Pope do that? You know, you know what? The same sh- time that you do it on the toilet. <laughs> the toilet. The Pope is... He's hey. taking a, a holy load, and he's uh, he's just <laughs> oh my, oh my god, he's leaving it. All right, <laughs> oh, he's just swiping. Dude, and, he does it. That means we get to do it, right? If we had, we were talking about definitely not swiping and wiping. New T-shirt brought to you by Practically Pastoring. <laughs> no swiping and no, wiping. No. With hey. a picture of a pope hat. 
guys no. I'll make it happen here's the thing here's no. the thing i know I, I saw the barstool sports uh clip on that and like it's really funny from a from like a barstool sports perspective and i know that that the girl who got the like or whatever she's like milking it she's like the pope likes me or whatever sign up for my website or something but um but here's the probably that you want to know what exactly happened because i i can guarantee you this is what happened the pope doesn't run his instagram account Someone else does. And That's what I was getting at. Probably some, like some, some intern, some like nineteen-year-old Franciscan cardinal. Cardinal is like, and he's the pervert, and he's the one that liked the post by mistake, thinking he was on his personal account. I'm not saying I don't want to speak ill of some. We go kid. back to we we go back to Hillsong now. Someone thinking they're on their personal account when really they're on the church account. Exactly. Well, only instead of. Oh my gosh. The one thing wild. we do know is somebody's sending up some Hail Marys. Okay, that's all. <laughs> Man, if we had any Catholics listening to this, they're they're gone now. We we love you. <laughs> we we love you like the Pope loves hot. Well, well, this oh my. Hold up, hold up. If we this if we have Catholics practically priesting podcast. So if we have Catholics hanging with us this many episodes yeah. in, then they they're, know that we good. have bagged on the back. Baptist casseroles and the frozen chosen and the non-denominationals who just are Baptist with a good website. We've done, we've done that guys. Let's, this is going to be the longest episode ever. We don't keep going. All right. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, the, the other big thing in the news, and this is interesting because Andrew and Jeff, neither of you actually even heard about this. Oh, and, I, um, so, so Paula white and, and man, I don't keep up with her. All I know is when I lived in Tampa, I went to, what? A, I, I don't keep <laughs> when I lived in Tampa we text all the time no no when I lived in Tampa we um I used to visit without walls when I was in high school um because I didn't know better and I was being influenced by my friends but isn't it in Orlando now well when I lived in Tampa it was in Tampa I don't know where it is now hmm. it moved or something I am maybe mixing up my uh false teachers I don't know <laughs> go ahead anyways Paula White was having like a prayer service and there's actually some, it's a really weird. I mean, like a lot of these services are really weird. There's people like running I saw the around. video, but I still don't know what it is you're referencing. Okay, hold on. I'll explain it. There's also in the video, if you look, pay attention, there's a woman who's laying on the floor on her face, but she starts doing pushups. And I thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, no, so she starts, so Paula White's like praying aggressively and so it's speaking in tongues and doing all this other stuff. And she, she, she asked, I guess she asked the Lord to send angels from Africa. And she says, I see angels from Africa departing and coming over here. I see angels from South America coming over to America, all in the attempts to like figure out the vote, like all in the attempts of like getting Trump elected and stuff like that. And, and I, I think this is important to know also that uh, Paula White is a part of Trump's like religious committee or whatever like pastoral christian advisors evangelical advisor or something so anyways long and short of it she's praying these prayers about african and south american angels coming to america and all this other stuff um and and to the, the thing i wanted to bring up is, is one thing is one basically it's a meme um there's some amazing amazing remixes to it like uh sway the remix god who is that's like, her doing it right there is the king of like taking these kind of viral clips and putting the dopest beats behind it so you <laughs> it's pretty awesome yeah uh uh there's a bunch of funny remixes of that so that's great but secondly i saw a couple people bring this up and it's actually really true there's like there's a, I was wondering why African angels, why South America, like these are very specific 
places for angels to come from. And someone explained to me that like in, in some charismatic circles, there's this belief that in Africa and South America, there's so much spiritual warfare going on in these places that God sends extra angels to those areas to fight these spiritual battles over there. And it's this, and it's this kind of like continual trope that like black and brown skinned people in their native lands are these just far off pagans who, who are dabbling in witchcraft and all this stuff, even though the church of Jesus Christ is growing at an exponential rate in Africa and in South America, but that's besides the point. Um, But like, but the other thing I think is this, that I want to bring up. So before I ask this last question, I want to hear from you guys, especially you two who have never heard of it. What do you think about this? Like, what is this, 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 she, she not only did this, you know, very intense prayer asking for angels from Africa and South America to come to America. But the following week, this is actually the coolest part. I didn't even bring this up to you guys. She goes on her same thing. She goes in the video. She's like, hey, those of you who are making jokes about me on the internet, you got my number. Call me. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't know what it was about, though. She's like, come at me, bro. Like, drop the address. Drop a location. She said, like, I have 6,000 numbers in my phone. You know who it is. (laughs) And I was like, like, hey, I'm not on the Paula White train, but, like, yo, yeah, come at me. Like, if you're going to call me out, don't be a coward behind a keyboard. Say it to my face. But but with that being said, what do you guys think about that? Because I I do have another point that I think is is intriguing about this whole – Paula White, the Sean worship guy from Bethel, that's kind of interesting in the in the conversation of of Trump and, and Republican conservatives. I mean, I, Paula White was not on my radar before this, and she's not on my radar now. Yeah. So, like, yeah. it's... She has a gold toilet seat in her house that the church paid for. That's pretty Ooh, cool. That's nice. The, my, I'm not an angelologist, but I think that the creation account seems to indicate that angels existed significantly before the world as we know it. I don't yes. know that any new angels have been created, and if they were, I'm pretty sure we would have noticed or been told so through Scripture. So as far as I'm concerned, there's just as many angels now as there were during the time of Christ. There are just as many demons now as there were during the time of Christ. And... I I would say the population is a whole lot denser than it was at the time of Christ, so all of all of the, all of the angel math needs to come into play, and I believe it works out too. That's just wacky, what <laughs> she's saying. Like, uh, I think that would be my official theological position: is the math doesn't work. That makes no sense. I do think that's. I mean, I you know, I, at first I was thinking, like, do I have any issues with her praying? for trump to win the election because this happened before either before the election or during the counts and and like f- first off to say she's on the like she's like the main person the religious thing for trump so like her cards have been dealt like we know where she stands on this stuff and, and i'm not surprised and i'm frankly not even bothered by it you know what i'm saying like i'm not bothered in the same way like i listened to a podcast about there was a church service on the border uh, um, at the southern border of Texas and there was a lot of like immigrants there and they were trying to have this like ecumenical prayer service for the election and the last person that came on stage specifically said and, and for the most part it was bipartisan but someone at the very end one pastor said and we pray for Biden's win and the crowd went crazy for that like, in the, in the, like they were encouraging that so like like I don't think it's wise to have prayer services specifically trying to endorse trying to get God to 
pick a president and stuff like that. I that's that's a personal thing for me. But I think for me, it's like if we on a normal year when there's not an election involved, like as you can tell by the tone of all four of us, we kind of roll our eyes when it comes to Paula White and kind of some of her shenanigans. I think also three of us are from Florida, so we've seen some of her shenanigans a little bit up close and personal. But like we're not this is like not a big deal for us. Like we, this is whatever. And, and, and there's also like, we, I think all four of us, when we, I think we've had the conversation here before about Bethel and that movement in California. It's like, like there's deep conversation probably within our churches about whether or not it's even appropriate for us to sing Bethel songs because of how whack their theology is as a church. And that spreads into other churches and stuff like that. But I guess my question is, is like, there seems to me to be like a dichotomy, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but like a cognitive dissonance by the same people who think Paula White and Bethel are whack, when Bethel and Paula White are like very, very pro-Trump and very conservative, that there's no discussion or else concern to be like, hey, we support this man or we support this candidate, but we find Paula White problematic. I, I haven't heard anybody say that and maybe i'm just on the wrong websites or something but like this big movement of let us worship and and sean going across the country and having these big worship services the same people who are in that crowd who are very very conservative theologically are singing songs which a year earlier they said i don't know if we could sing songs by a guy that by the guy who's writing these songs and i don't like like I'm, I'm I'm literally confused because I've had conversations with people who are very very against Bethel, but they're like wanting to have their concerts come to Milwaukee. Have you guys thought about that at all? Can, about- can I say something that might not make me very popular? Tell me. I and and I have friends, you know, friends. I have friends' wives that are very much in that that movement. I I'm a naturally conservative person, so I I. I <laughs> I get that group without ever identifying myself as, as being a part of that group. Um, there aren't a lot of advanced theological degrees in that camp. Sure. There's you know what I'm saying? Like th- these are not the, uh, these are not, there are not many people in that group that I would want to be an elder in my church. The, and it's not that I'm saying that they are not mature Christians. Some of them have been believers for 30 or 40 years. I'm just saying there's not a lot of intellectual depth in their theology. And you're, and ta- you're talking about like the institutions. I'm saying I'm saying no no well I'm well y- yes and I I think that that's a I, I'm saying the the people that are convinced that any president, let alone our current president, but the people that are convinced that any president is God's answer and God's you know, perfect plan for the nation and the people that are supporting the let it, you know, work, whatever marches or, or whatever that, that's going on. Um, there aren't a lot of seminary professors in there. There aren't a lot of seminary mm. graduates in there. And if we're being honest, there might not even be a lot of community college graduates in there. So, so, so what you're saying is, is like, there's no, I mean, you're saying the people who are really endorsing these kind of movements are not like, the seminary professors or the, or the people yeah. who have these like le- lots of letters after their name. There are a lot of like kind of homegrown, like for example, in the Bethel movement, a lot of people who are in the Bethel world go to their Bethel school. Right. Yeah. And so it's kind of like this own kind of 
universe that exists within itself. No one from Southern Seminary is going to Bethel um, to Bethel Church to lead worship. You know what I'm saying? Is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. And if you want to get a good snapshot at it, just um, look at Apologia's cultish episode on Bethel. I mean, if, if you want to see... You're talking about where, where, the, where, the, where the girl who defected from yes, Bethel? it is fantastic. It's, There's two it's episodes. Pretty, it's pretty alarming, actually. Like, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty yes. intense. It's, I don't mean fantastic as an encouraging way. I mean, it's, it's fantastic as in, wow. And, and I think that there is something to be said about um, these movements who say, God has told me Trump will be president. Um, and I think that you need to, if you watch that, just that two podcast video, you'll see that, no, it's extremely emotionally driven. You know, it's extremely based on how I feel. And uh, I think they're forgetting, you know, the great prayer of thy will be done. Mm. Well, I think a lot of this, I mean, you, you have to have a conversation about Christian nationalism and the history of that in America uh, and yeah. what that means, because that's a that's lot fair. of what we're seeing. And American exceptionalism, where uh, I would say a lot of folks that I know that are very concerned about who the president is um, tend to have this view that our experience as American Christians is the experience of Christians across the world. And it, it's just not. Um, and, and so it's like this, this whole, like, you know, if, if so-and-so gets elected, then everything for the church, big C is going to be fine. And it's like the American church is, I mean, in my denomination, the American church is not even the biggest part of our denomination. Like we, we are not, I'm not saying we're not important, but we're not like the end all be all of everything that has to do with Christianity. We aren't, we are not, you know, ancient Israel. We are not God's chosen nation. The new Testament has happened. So, and, and if you're from a tradition where that disagrees with that, that's fine. But, you know, I probably of the four of us, I'm in a tradition that's the most charismatic leaning um, in the Alliance. We actually split from the assemblies of God uh, in our history. And so, you know, there is a spectrum in my movement, my denomination, uh, from more conservative churches like mine to churches that, I mean, you might think were assemblies or, you know, Church of God, very, very Pentecostally um, minded. And, that, and that's fine. And our official stance, and actually some of this is in discussion, but our official stance is seek not, forbid not, um, when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, you know, for me, Paula White has not been on my radar for a long time, and she continues to not be on my radar because of the bad teaching. I mean, uh, and so, you know, this stuff is just like, uh, hopefully my folks, when they see things by teachers like this, even after just three years, kind of know where I'm at. Because like you said, Andrew, my tendency for my folks is to try to drive them deeper into intellectually rigorous things and that doesn't seem to be the same direction as you know these sort of movements like we're seeing where you know it's just like all this emotionalism it's just like get everybody riled up into like a frenzy and i'm i'm like now nah, why don't we read a book for six weeks i mean can think we be about honest harder christianity emotionalism christianity it all that is is a religious secularism because that's our entire culture right now is just emotionalism, right? Mm -hmm. it, it tends to go toward what can I be outraged about, right. whereas, Christ, whereas this false Christianity will take it and say, oh, what can I go insanely hyper um, exuberant about? But it's still just emotionalism. 
but it's and also think, what can I be right about? I think that's yeah. why that's why this group into that. intersects Christianity and politics, and it's you know this is the same kind of people that that door knockers and bell ringers would be targeting um, because mm-hmm. hey, do you want to be included? Do you yes. want to be every everybody else want- is. Ro- do you Everybody want God's wrong, blessing? But you have some mm-hmm. unique insight. There's something special about how you see the world that's so much better than how everybody else sees the world. You're one of us because you're smart like us. Special. Sure, you don't have you know you don't have that you know traditional theological understanding or that that uh, traditional theological training. But you see something that other people don't. You right. it's it, it's basically the Illuminati that we have created <laughs> for you know for. <laughs> For housewives and college dropouts. Well, and I, I mean, uh, that was rude. That was rude. I'll but, say this: I never hear the word. I never hear the word anointing used as much as I do in those circles. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. do you have anointing? I mean, when I was a worship pastor, to tell a story about without walls, and I just looked it up. Frank Paula White is actually in a popka, so okay. she's it's central Florida. And the reason I know that is I the church I worked at in Orlando where we did the uh, Beast Mode concert. Yeah. is just south of a pop so i remember driving by uh but when i was in tampa or near tampa i had a little band and we played at uh without walls once and this is kind of like the way this is one of my experiences with that kind of health and wealth gospel preaching health and wealth gospel preach false gospel preaching church we contracted with them through our booking guy to do uh like five songs for a hundred bucks we got there and they ran out of time because everybody was preaching too long and they let us do one song and then they paid us a thousand dollars. And it was like this weird <laughs> flex to like impress us with their. And I remember as like, you know, a, a 18 year old being like, dang, that was amazing. Can we play here every week? But then now <laughs> thinking like, man, that is just like, it's like wasteful. Like, you know, and, and I, so I think to what you said, Andrew, it's like this whole movement, there's this, that's, that's why I said American exceptionalism. Like everybody thinks they're the exception to the norm. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, this goes to what we're dealing with with mandates and masks and stuff. It's like all of this mask, like pushback, every person that I talk to has some reason why it doesn't really apply to them. Or you think about how we, you know, how we drive. It's like the speed limit's 65, eh, but I'll go 70 because I'm kind of the exception. That's our, like, that's our American culture. Pull yourself up by the bootstrap. You are special. You're not like everybody else. And what you see is like that, for whatever reason, that stream of theology right now, or lack of theology right now, and that like political stream have like merged into this weird stream of, uh, we want to be the exception that is in God's like will. So we are blessed, not like every, like every- ultimately, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to, to kind of tie in here was that there was this funny article about, well, it's not funny. It's kind of sad still, but there was this article about a, a guy who had like, there's a ton of people who made prophecies about Trump winning the election. Um, and, and he, and the election in, and after the election was over, um, he, made a video saying how he's, he's apologizing. And I actually thought like, I, you know, that kind of prophecy is not a part of my tradition, but I actually had a lot of respect for that. Cause I was like, he acknowledges that this was a big deal. And he, and he even said like, you know, his, his character, his word is on the line here. And so he wanted to apologize for it. 
bad news is he took down that video and said he's going to wait until, you know, after the count is finally over to, you know, so it's a f- for sure happens. And, and I don't know, I was going to tie something back with everyone to talk about the prophecies of, um, of how people are like, even this whole world of like, there's conservatives in evangelical culture who probably wouldn't say this kind of prophecy is a part of their tradition. And yet like, they're not denouncing this. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, it's, it's interesting. But anyways, let's, let's very practically, we, we, we don't have a lot of time left. We've kind of spent a lot of time in the clergy cliff notes. This is what happens when Tim's not here. We kind of go everywhere and, and are disorganized, but Tim's the one that keeps us organized. He, he does. He's, he, he talks the least on this show, but we're very intimidated by him. So we, uh, we stay on par. We're like anything, because we know as soon as he starts talking, he's going to take his shirt off. So we're like, we'll keep it moving. <laughs> keep that shirt on. Don't make us feel bad. He's the best nope. looking guy on this podcast. So. No, no more shirtless uh, pastors. Carl Lentz has taught us that today. <laughs> it's a bad move. Hey, so really practically, what are you guys doing for Christmas? Uh, are you online, in person, both? Uh, do you, are you doing anything different because of COVID? Um, what's the theme of your sermon, if you know it already? Are you using real candles, or are you worried about the carpet? I want to hear all that kind of stuff from you guys. All of the above. I all mean, right. for us, well, I mean, really, what we realize in our community is that everybody really is longing for tradition right now. Like there are quite a few people who even at the end of October were putting out Christmas. I think it has something to do with just normalcy has been taken away from people. So this is their way of like, I'm going to make this work. So there's this big draw just to have Christmas. So for us, there's nothing like extremely fancy or even extremely like creative in what you would consider a traditional year it's more like no we just need some christmas so we're really just leaning into like um just actual just christmas like even on our stages manger scenes uh, we are going to be having outdoor christmas eve services um, one of those reasons is because our campus does meet in a skating rink, and that doesn't sound exactly like the best place to make a Christmas Eve memory, but so we do have... Sk- it's a very popular activity for Christmas Eve for many families it, it, to go. Yeah, go for many families. Rink. Yes, exactly. So we're going to be having our Christmas Eve service on our new property, and there we That's will cool. be having candles. Um, my brother's going to... Yeah, I think it'll go over well. My brother's a professional videographer, so we plan on putting out a highlight of that night. And uh, right now, my uh, assistant is looking we, at possibly doing the the Japanese lantern candles. If y'all have seen those. Oh, my gosh. I, I have a story about those. Oh, gosh. Maybe you made me not want to do it. But it's just the <laughs> idea of, like, um, that entire community hearing us singing Silent Night, you know, loving them. And then they visually see the light go up. We're actually going to be going out into the community in about two weeks. We've purchased, like, 800 light bulbs. We're going to every door. And we're saying, you know, everyone needs a light bulb and every community needs a light. And we just want to be that for you. And that's the tr- So we're really just trying to send that out. So, yeah, it's online. It's going to be outside Sunday morning. We'll just continue doing the same course as we are now. What, uh, I don't remember, but what day of the week is Christmas Eve? Do you guys remember? Do you know? Friday. It's a Friday. Okay. Friday night. The Christmas day is Saturday. Man, that's lame. I want Christmas on like a Wednesday every year. So the whole week is taken up, you know? Um, for I'm us, sorry. so, so Del, the, the story, is Friday. Yeah. Christmas Eve is Thursday. Okay. So the story is that, uh, we did a 4th of July thing at a church I was at in Orlando and it was yeah. on, a, uh, the church property was on a lake and part of the 4th of July is they did those, uh, you know, they, they let the lanterns go and like five or six of them, like got caught in a tree 
and we had the, the fire department had to come out and put them out. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild. So anyway, but enjoy that. Um, hey, and you're in South Carolina, so this is in all seriousness. Christmas Eve night might not be that cold. Like you, you could be outside. And it, be, it probably you know, won't. Right? I mean, Frank, where you are, like it'll be pretty cold Christmas Eve. Night, <laughs> you right? die. Yeah. It's cold. I was looking out to the windows. It was a flurry. It was, it was snow coming down. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. There's some flurries upside. Like yeah, just you to, saying that. Twenties this week. Just you saying that draws my heart to joy. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like for you, it's so normal. But South Carolina, it doesn't come under Columbia maybe once every two years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, for us, we uh, I hit Advent pretty hard. So starting the last week of November, it's November 29th. I think it's 29th. the first Sunday of, of Advent this year. So that's my preaching theme uh, through the through the Christmas season. Um, and then we're actually participating in a 40 day prayer thing that my denomination is doing in January. So I'm excited about that. It'll be a six week hmm. series after that. Uh, as far as you know, plans and stuff. I mean, I have no idea right now. I know that we will definitely do something online, whether that's live streamed or recorded beforehand and put out as simulated live because we can't meet in person. Um, that part of it, I probably won't know till we get closer to the middle of December, depending on where the numbers are and all that. But uh, one thing we are going to do is uh, we last year for the first time did uh, what people call a blue Christmas service. And uh, man, that was really, really uh, well accepted. And so basically Blue Christmas is targeted at people who have lost someone or for who the holidays are hard and difficult. And it's kind of, um, it's almost like, it's just a service of kind of letting them grieve and uh, talking, you know, helping them see that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and stuff like that. So uh, that's definitely going to be a need this year. I mean, I think a lot of people have mm. uh, undealt with grief um, in the sort of like counseling trauma world they talk about ambiguous grief which i think everybody's dealing with this year uh which is where uh, i first learned about it in some foster care training where kids who are removed from their family they deal with ambiguous grief so they, they've lost their parents but they're not sure when that grief is going to be over and it kind of just is weird and really all of us are dealing with that on some level uh because of covid so blue christmas service usually it happens like a week and a half before christmas eve and then we will do a christmas eve service and I say anathema to fake fire candles. There will be real fire on real candles. And if wax gets on the floor, wax gets on the floor because those kids need to play with fire at least once a year in I, church. I love how we, you use anathema with fire. That is yeah, really appropriate. Anathema yeah. to that. But having said that, we do have the uh, better. D listen, guys, don't get yourself the little paper rings that the candle goes no. through. Get yourself the plastic, the plastic ones, ones that yeah. the candle sticks in and it actually catches the wax. We're actually having to do two different kinds because we're doing the plastic ones that we usually do, but then we're doing like the plastic ones that have like the little solo cup around it because yeah. we're mm -hmm. doing a, a hybrid indoor and outdoor Christmas hey. Eve service. Um, <laughs> so the front of our worship center is just a glass wall that goes out to 2nd Street, so we're a block off Main Street. That's why we're 2nd nice, Street. Man. And so we're, uh, we're, we've got working with the city and we're going to barricade the street a little bit and because we've got enough families that haven't been to the church physically since march and so we we're like hey if we you know we want you to be here we get that why you're not coming so we're gonna set up you know a third of our chairs outside in our front area and then some into the street to make sure everyone's spaced out and then because there's we don't have a, a lobby it just goes you just go into the worship center there's you know 10 or 12 feet before the the chairs start 
So we're, we're putting a flat screen out there with a live HDMI feed on a TV, but, but not the, uh, not the sound going through the, uh, the, you know, so they'll actually get the mix of the house for all the Christmas carols. So we're doing that for Christmas Eve. But again, I'm in safety Harbor, Florida. I think last year, the high on Christmas Eve was 73 and our Christmas (laughs) Eve service is six till seven. So at that time we might dip into the mid sixties. So it'll be a really nice time to sit outside, break out the hoodies. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be freezing guys. So we're uh, spice. So no, no pumpkin spice. We have hot chocolate. We actually spent time this morning. We spent time this morning going over like, Hey, so what can we do for hot chocolate for the outdoor people at Christmas Eve? Cause you know, we want them to make it themselves so that people aren't handing them stuff and all this stuff. And then we, we also hit Advent pretty hard. We're going to be in Isaiah all month for Advent kind of dealing with the actual prophecies in Isaiah what seven nine and eleven uh, 60 going. degree christmas though yeah, man, i mean uh awesome. i think that's, a, here, that's more like a nesquik christmas than a hot chocolate though here's here's the <laughs> thing that i'm that i'm really excited about that we're doing so we do the the advent wreath and the candles every year um and so you know different families light the candles each week but since we have some of our young families are the ones that are the least comfortable being here my wife and i have like made um advent wreaths with candles that are you know a little bit of ikea a little bit of michael's a little bit of dollar tree stuff so we have all of those going out to families oh, next that's week cool, man. that's so cool that man everyone will have their own advent wreath with the same readings that that we would typically do at church and we're having the families videotape them so that you can do more than one take so that junior's not running around the stage trying to touch the guitar um but so we'll also be able to put that in our online service and show it on you know in our screens in our main service but then also just have the social media content of hey here's the larson family lighting you know our first advent candle and then Dude, that's a great idea so i might so that uh i will send you a picture of the wreath that we made yeah i man. think i think it cost us six dollars per no that's six dollars per wreath before the candles but still like but for still, our that's... family we have like six or seven really active families and so you know you really only need five but so that everybody can be participating um each week they can be doing the advent at home with their family it's awesome man yeah i don't know what we're doing as a church because i haven't really asked anybody but i do know that we're preaching out of matthew one and that's all i know i'm not i'm not even preaching i'm doing i'm service hosting one of the services but uh, i don't know if you guys want this but advent resources Oh, do it. Yeah, go for it. Uh, The first one is a book I've read now like two or three years in a row. It's called The First Days of Jesus. It's by Andreas Kostenberger and Alexander Stewart. This is, I think, a crossway book. They also have The Last Days of Jesus came as a set. So it's cool. uh, Pretty cool book. I honestly was attracted to it because of this artwork. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, I see that. That's cool. And then I just got this. This is apparently a whole series. It must be from a tradition I'm not familiar with. But it's called, it, it's the Feasting on the Word series. And this is an Advent companion. And this is really like, this is really good. It, it So far, I've, I, I just got this yesterday, but it's got like service orders and scripture readings and all kinds wow. of creeds and really cool stuff. So those are two resources to check out if you want to try the Advent thing out. That's really dope. Hey, um, we're not going to do any kind of uh, question of the day because we're going to actually have one big kind of quick announcement. 
Um, season one of Practically Pastoring is over, okay? So you, those of you who are listening or watching may not even realize that we're doing seasons. But um, we are all pastors. And, and like, even if you watch this video, you can notice there's a couple of times Andrew had to get up and leave or, or type an email. Some, I'm, I, I literally, as the final segment was going, I was putting out a fire on a text message just now. And so like, this is real life for us. Like we're all doing real pastoral work right now. And, uh, and I think we both found it healthy that for the next several weeks, for the, you know, definitely through Thanksgiving and December and, and the first part of January, um, it's wise of us to make sure we put our full attention back on our churches as well as on our families. So uh, we're going to take a break. Um, Jeff wants us to come back the day after the inauguration to see live of what's going to happen. See what's happening, man. <laughs> yeah. but, I'll go down. I'll drive down to DC and see what's going on. Oh yeah, you're, that's a lie. I will refuse. You drive down to DC. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's I will not go anywhere near DC. Um, <laughs> but there will be. I, I we, there's no details yet. So, but there will be maybe a day where uh, the five of us, so that includes Tim, will do maybe a live Facebook. Who? Oh yeah, the, the, other the five of us, the four of us in this chat, and and Tim will do a live uh, Facebook, uh, maybe Q and A one day. Check in, check in, just with everybody. Um, maybe there'll be details coming soon, but like what what works for everybody else? Because we would love to have as many of y'all as possible to kind of just check in, see how you guys are doing, answer any questions live, have a good time for maybe thirty minutes or so. But um, but with that being said, we 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 are excited. Dude, this has been a fun uh project and it's been really enjoyable and i think regardless of who's listening to this or who's watching it which i know a lot of people have been blessed by this it's been really encouraging seeing everyone's feedback i know for myself my soul has been better having the relationship of you men on this show and being able to just to kind of process life and and i know jeff and i we were like really close best friends when we were in bible college our jobs kind of drifted us apart and now we're back together. I mean, I just love everything about this. And so I've been really enjoying it. This is the Christmas gift to me is this podcast. And I really appreciate mm. it. <laughs> that was I always thought that we would so end sappy. season one on a cliffhanger. That's how you get renewed for season oh, yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. So the cliffhanger is. Oh, oh hold on. Hold find on. Out, find I... out if Tim will be back. <laughs> oh. do, we, do we kick Tim off the show? <laughs> <laughs> Wait. That works. Or is it, does Tim want to be on this? Or we could just lie and be like, hey, the next episode, someone who's a listener is going to win uh, five tickets to Disney World. And Andrew's going to make that happen. Actually, Andrew could probably make Universal tickets happen. Uh, I mean, Maybe. we're working I, on it. But <laughs> I don't know about Disney. but We, we got to wait a bit. Yeah. Universal's a little bit more accessible than Disney. So, all right. Well, <laughs> hey. Thanks again for listening to the show. Uh, please subscribe, like, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you go on iTunes, give us a review, five-star ratings. All that stuff helps us. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, if we hit 500 on Instagram, I will start sending out shirts randomly to people. But with that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And Tim is working. And, uh... We are practically pastoring. See you next year. Bye. See ya.